You see, as we enter into James, James is decidedly different than Philippians. James is really different than pretty much any other book in the New Testament, that James really skips right to, man, do this. And so it's going to be a rough couple of months for us. I just want you guys to know that. That as we entered into Philippians, Paul pretty much said, hey, uh, quit bickering, come together for the gospel, forget this other stuff. And, and, and James isn't as nice as sometimes in the way he says things. And so we're going to look at big themes of, man, what do we do with, with gossipers? What do we do uh, with people that lord money over other folks? What do we do in the midst of suffering? And so in just a couple moments, I'm going to pray that, that God would really soften our hearts, that he would break us to our own stubbornness and stiff nakedness. He would help us be transformed into the type of people that he would be glorified having be identified as Christians. I also want us to pray just for those churches and around us that they would also, man, just do a great job being ambassadors for Christ. So let me, let me pray for us now, then we'll jump into James. Father, I just, uh, as we come to you, we ask that you would help us to be a people that would come across uh, teaching in Scripture, and then we would come across it and we would incorporate it into our lives. That as we come across commands, as we come across these things, that we wouldn't see them as suggestions, as options that we might possibly choose to follow, but that we would follow them as mandates on our lives. God, I, I pray that you would give us a bold evangelistic witness in this community that as we do share that you would burden our hearts for the lost in this community. You would help us as a body to be thoroughly invested in reaching those in Greenville, Texas, and, and making your name famous and bringing salvation to their homes. And God, we pray for those, those other churches around town today that are delivering this life-saving gospel of Jesus, that you would do such an amazing work through their ministries that we could just eradicate lostness. God, we pray for success in the other churches around town. We pray for the health and vitality of their, their staff. We pray for the unity of their body. We all have the common enemy of sin. And pray that we would find ways to come together to defeat that. That we would find ways to come together so that you might be glorified through the unification of the saints across denominational lines, across streets, and across cultures. And Father, we, we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. So as we, as we, as we come to James, like I said, James is just is radically different. If you've ever read through Proverbs, it's just kind of the, you know, the steady listing of, of really short and, and pithy statements. You know, wisdom sayings. And James is, is essentially the New Testament counterpart to that. And so as we go over the next several months, we're going to see repeated themes that James keeps coming back to. But let me read for us. We're going to be localized in James 1 through 4. Let me read for us the first four verses of James. James writes and he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. 
Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Man, James is just over there with rabbit punches going at us. I mean, he starts slow in verse 1 and then just kind of builds to a steady... I mean, just like, James, don't you want to ask us how we're doing? Don't you want to have a more extended greeting? But really, we only get that in verse 1. But the question you should be asking yourself is, man, who is James to be making such impressive statements? Who is James that he would have the audacity to tell us to count joy in all circumstances? See, it's interesting. As James opens up, he is none other than the half-brother of Jesus. He's none other than the half-brother of Jesus. And so you start thinking, well, James has a head start, y'all. See, James grew up with Jesus. He had the insider track to his early teaching, and, and, and James kind of came to this philosophy, this understanding. And so he's, he's got a head start on us. But man, if you flip over to, to Mark 3, and you read through Mark 3, we see an account of Jesus teaching and and the text tells us that his mother and his brothers and his sisters went to find Jesus because they thought he was out of his mind. They go and they seek Jesus out. Jesus is his family, his mother, his brothers and his sisters, and they're seeking him out because clearly something is wrong with him. James didn't have the inside track. James is, James is an outsider to a certain degree. But then we see Paul, right, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 and verse 7, and he talks about when Jesus appeared to James after the resurrection. It says he appeared to the twelve, he appeared to the five thousand, he appeared to Paul, and he, he gave James a private audience. Can you imagine that? This guy you grew up with, this guy that for the last few years you thought was clearly delusional. And now he shows up, and in this one-on-one conversation between brothers, James comes to this radical understanding that the one he called brother is none other than the Savior and King of humanity. And so, man, if I'm James, that's how I start my letter. I started off, and I'm like, James, (coughs) brother of Jesus, uh, Send donations in care of James, brother of Jesus, First Baptist Jerusalem. And probably just kind of end it there. But we see that James doesn't avail himself of this familial relationship. He doesn't make use of the fact that he's Jesus, his brother. In fact, he starts it off, he says, James, a servant. He says, man, I'm a servant of God. And people get that. They're like, absolutely, we understand that. Your translation might have slave or bondservant. But he writes, and the first thing he says is, he says, man, I'm a servant. I'm one who doesn't follow my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And he says, I'm a servant of God. And then he turns it. And the person you think that he would draw the direct connection to, he says, man, I'm also a servant of Jesus. So I'm a servant of my brother. And he is both king and he is Lord. And as such... My life is to do his bidding. As such, 
my life is to be transformed into becoming into his likeness. You see, we can learn something about James and his description of himself. But James writes this letter, he self-describes himself, and he says, he says, this is to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. You see, James isn't written to a particular audience. We just studied Philippians, Paul writing to the church in Philippi. James here offers up a letter which was meant to be passed around from church to church, which is meant to apply to a variety of circumstance. And James today applies to our circumstance. But he offers this difficult teaching. He writes in verse 2 and he says, Man, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Well, i got to be honest. I don't like to read that. I mean, you start reading that and you think, well, they didn't have all the difficulties we have now. I mean, first century... What are their trials? You're walking along and the thong on your leather sandal blows out. And you're like, what am I going to do? The guy beside you is like, count it joy, man. You're like, oh. So happy that blew out. I love dirt. The way it feels in my feet, it exfoliates. Oh, I'm having a hard time with this. Well, that's just silly, Right? It's not that their situation was easier than ours. It's not that they they had less things going on in their life. They stood against the persecution of the Roman Empire. They stood against not being able to find jobs. They stood against having their homes taken away. They stood against being kicked out of the cities they were born in. And James writes to them. And it says, count it all joy. When you encounter trials of various kinds. You see, James wasn't advocating some call to masochism. He wasn't saying, hey, when you encounter those things, it's good stuff, man. When, when, when your wife dies, when you lose your job, when you lose your home, I tell you, you just take that thing and arrest it and just say, I love it. Can I lose some more? Maybe my house could burn down. Maybe my wife could die. Maybe my kids could run away. I'd just be happier. You see, James isn't proclaiming some ridiculous type of, of, of masochism. But what he's writing them is, he says, before you get into any of these situations, before you encounter any trial, you already arrest that. And you set your mind that it's going to be joyous. You set your mind on having a joyous attitude that when you encounter these various trials, when you encounter all these things that go wrong, losing your job, losing your home, losing your family, it doesn't shake you. Because you have so firmly set your mind on being joyous in the faith. And then every time you roll in and out of these situations, you remind yourself of the frame of mind that you have in you. And as Philippians tells us, that we have in us the mind of Christ. And that is why we are able to take these situations and declare them as joyous. But James, he, he softens it a little bit. He, he continues the thought in verse 3, and he kind of gives them the, the understanding or the explanation of his bold statement. He says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So James isn't writing them and saying, Hey, look, as you encounter trials, as your house burns down, as 
the Roman Empire comes and they take all your money and they kick you out. I want you to look at that situation and just say, joyous. I want you to look at that situation and say, joyous. What he's telling them is, when you understand the purpose for suffering, you can rejoice. When you understand the purpose that suffering isn't meant to isn't meant to make you into some type of super Christian, but it is the testing of your faith. That when we encounter struggles and trials, when we encounter bad things in life, and many of us can testify that this list knows no end, it is for the purpose of strengthening our faith. It is for the purpose of endurance. Now, when Valerie and I were in Prague, man, we went over there and we had, in some sense, set our minds on being joyous. And we'd heard testimony after testimony of of people describing horrific, horrific things happening to them. Spouses die, spouses be kidnapped, kids be killed, immense persecution man, we're going to Central Europe. If my latte is not hot, that's immense persecution. We're going to Central Europe. If my bus doesn't arrive on time, that's, oh man, I'm not going to make that meeting on time. Let's see, we get there and we go into the midst of this team situation that's just unsteady. It's, it's a group of people that clearly don't enjoy the company of one another. And it's difficult because you're separated from your family. But we've got this great home church back in the States that's there to support us. Then her grandfather dies. Call the home church, call the pastor. Brother will not return my phone call. Valerie's parents begin to, her stepdad and mom begin to enter into this period of contemplating divorce and separating. Call the home church, their members there. Hey, hey, can you help us? Can you pray for us? Brother will not return my phone call. It gets difficult. It gets more difficult. Team leader gets removed. He gets moved to another area. We have this interim team leader. We begin to see some some things begin to catch traction, and we're doing really well. Next thing, lo and behold, somehow, I don't understand how it works, Valerie becomes pregnant. That's, That's clearly a joke. I hope. And many of you do as well. So Valerie becomes pregnant, and man, we're rejoicing, and everything's just great. We think, man, God, you are both the giver and sustainer of life. You are the God who gives good gifts. We go along, we have excellent medical care. I mean, her doctor is just amazing. The lady's fantastic. And she's so incredibly thorough and kind. But have you ever noticed when you're in and you're meeting with a doctor, and, and they're looking at results, or in our case, they're looking at the sonogram or the ultrasound, and they go, mm. and you're just like, man, I really hope she stubbed her toe or dropped something. And she says, I just don't like the way this looks. And I'm like, please say you're looking at my nose. And she says, I want to I I send you to a specialist. Don't worry about it. I'm sure it's nothing. It's just, you know, it's just something that may or may not be wrong with his heart. And you're like, what? Clearly, that's not a big deal then, because it's only his heart. Uh, not a doctor, but I think that supplies blood, so maybe that is a big deal. 
So we go and we meet with this doctor, and we go into his office, and we're talking to this guy, and he says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at his heart on my machine, and I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to speak to you. It's like, okay, well, I think that's probably best. And so he, he begins to do the test, and he's looking, and he's looking, and he's doing this number. I'm like, does he have a song in his head? Is he just working this out? Is he playing with us? Because we have this 42-inch screen in front of us, and clearly I'm not a doctor, and I have no idea what's going on, but I see red turning to blue, blue turning to green, and zooming in and twisting around. And I didn't know these things could do all this stuff. And so about 30, 45 minutes, this guy's, hmm, hmm, click, 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 zoom in, zoom out. I'm just like, he's not even looking at this baby anymore. He's over there watching a DVD. What's going on? So he gets to the end of this, and he says, okay, I've seen it, and it is okay. Everything's fine, and we're like, oh, Praise God. God is both the giver and sustainer of life. God is the giver of good gifts. God is to be praised. And so we go along and we're going along and we go back to her doctor some months later and the doctor's again doing this ultrasound and makes this sound. Mm. Yes, I do not I do not like this either. And we're like, man, I, the, the number of things that you're not liking in this pregnancy is really starting to reach its threshold for me. And she says, I want to I send you to a specialist. And we say, oh, okay. Man, I hope this next one talks. And so we go see these specialists, and we sit in there, and we're, we're in a room, and we have three doctors gathered around this table, and they're speaking in Czech. They're speaking in Czech. And, and at this point, I'd never wanted so badly to be completely ignorant to a language. And so this man and woman are, are going back and forth, and they're saying in Czech, ah, do you know what it is? And she says, no, I don't know what it is. And he says, well, if it was a girl, I would know what it was. And she says, yes, me too. But do you, you sure you don't know what it is? And, and they're going back and forth, and I'm just like, oh, man, why can't you use more difficult vocabulary? I wouldn't be able to follow you. And so then we have to sit down with the genetic counselor, and they're running down the list of all these things. You know, Did you eat lead paint chips as a child? I'm like, well, probably. Dang it. Did you sniff glue? Well, there was that one time. And you know, what, did you use a lot of white out? And I'm like, oh, my, it's my fault. And so we start running through all these things, and, and they said, look, we don't know what it is, but there's this guy three hours from here that he teaches people how to use these machines. He can tell you what this is. And so we walk out of there shaken, still with the resolve that God is both the giver and sustainer of life. The man, he formed Bryce in his innermost beings, and he holds his life in his hands. And so we gather up, and we drive to this other town, and we go in, and they take Valerie back, and the doctor says, it's no big deal. It's, it's this special type of cyst. It's going to go away. And we're just overcome with a sense of relief. You know, this long-awaited good news. And it's just amazing. And in that, that moment, you know, the the command that James gives us of counting it all joy comes so easily and spontaneously. Man, Bryce is, Bryce is born. We're rejoicing. He comes out healthy and screaming. I get to write his number across his chest and my name down his leg so that they don't mix him up with another baby, which is an odd experience, and I think everybody should try it. And they say, well, we, we just want to test him again 
to see how it's going, because this thing had been shrinking the whole time. And so they take Bryce to another part of the hospital. They don't let us go with him. They test him. They bring him back and say, man, this thing is, is still there. It's growing. We've got to do surgery. I mean, this kid is just days old, and they're talking about surgery. And so we get discharged from the hospital. We go in, and we meet with this man who I can only describe as a sadistic Patch Adams with a gap between his front teeth, sandals and white socks, and see-through shorts. And it's disturbing for a number of reasons. And he comes in and all smiles and said, so you've decided to let us do the surgery. I said, so we've decided to meet with you anyway. They wouldn't let us out of the hospital until we'd scheduled the surgery. So we meet with him and he says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do an incision all the way across his abdomen so we can get a clear theater of view. And we said, well, is there any way you could minimize that, maybe do a smaller incision? He said, you're only concerned with aesthetics, but we're concerned with his life. And I was like, well, really, I, I think we're both concerned. We just have different approaches. So, man, wouldn't you know, we end up leaving the country whose language we understood a little bit. We end up going to Budapest, Hungary, about six and a half hours away by car. We meet with a surgeon named Attila, which always puts everybody at ease. <laughs> and we're, con you know, conversing with people back in the States, talking to doctors, talking to, to pediatric surgeons back in the States about what they would do. And this guy describes the exact course that the doctor back in the States described. And I tell you what, man, I looked at that situation, I looked at my family, I told Valerie, I said, pack it up, we're going back to the States. I can't do this here. I don't speak Hungarian. Uh, I lived here for three months before, but, I mean, I don't even know the word for pain in Hungarian. And she says, no, you know, we made a commitment, we're going to honor that. God is both faithful and just. She's counting it all joy. So we go through that situation. The surgery goes flawlessly. Bryce is returned to health. And as it would happen in the middle of that, my Bible calendar had me reading Job. And so I'm looking at the sufferings of my life compared to the sufferings beside Job. And again and again, the guy was persecuted. And again and again, he came back with the response of joy. Friends, when we encounter various trials of many kinds, the only response that we can give is to return with joy because we know that the testing of our faith, the many things that happen to us in life are meant to build to the endurance. They're meant to build for our perseverance. And James gives the final picture in verse 4. He says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, Lacking in nothing. You see, it's not so that we can go through these horrible things so that God can, can allow these things to come our way and sit back and say, you know, I wonder if they can handle this next. But it's so that we can be complete and perfect. We read in Romans 12:1 that Paul describes what it is to be a living sacrifice presented to God. He says, present yourself as living sacrifices, for that is what you need to be for spiritual worship. You see, as we encounter all these trials, as we encounter all these frustrations, as we encounter all these difficulties, we are being made into an acceptable spiritual sacrifice to God. And James doesn't write and say, in the midst of these things, it's going to be easy. See, he too is acquainted 
with the words from the author of Hebrews. In Hebrews 12, 11, we read that for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, God is working in us to produce righteousness. God is working in us to make us a people that would be able to present acceptable spiritual sacrifices before Him. And it's with the full picture in mind, it's with this full scope in mind that we're even able to look at these things and to declare them all joy. That we're able to look at these things and look at the frustrations and be so supported and so buttressed by joy. Guys, as we sit in here today, we're going to do something a little different now that we're in James. James really moves to the point of practicality at a lightning pace. And so each week as we work our way through James, I'm going to ask that we think through some questions. James gets real in a hurry. And so the first question is, I mean, what trials have you faced recently? Some of you, if you had 30 minutes and unlimited supply of ink and paper, you would just be, you would, you would write down too many. What trials have you faced recently? And how did you handle those trials? When those hit you, how did you respond to the trials, to the pressures, to the frustrations, to the temptations? Think back over your response to those things. You know, in light of what James says, in light of James saying that we should count it all joy, what should you have done differently? Take a second to think through that. What should you have done differently? Man, if you're out there and you wrote it and you said, well, I just, I haven't encountered anything recently. See, we experience things as a body. We don't experience things in a vacuum. And so the call to you is always to intercede and to pray for those that are enduring trials. You don't just pray and say, God, thank you so much for not, not putting me through these things. You say, God, thank you so much that you give me the ability to pray for those that do. Why don't you pray with me?